as bards. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this privilege of gathering together as family. Thank you for always reminding us that we are indeed family and that these are incredible blessings, these moments in time, Father, that we're able to fellowship together and break bread together, the very bread of life, Father. Thank you for giving us life itself, Father. Thank you for giving us the faculties to be able to enjoy it, Father. Thank you for the Word of God that reveals it to us. Father, we pray for those in the congregation that are ill, that can't be with us this evening. Our prayers go out to them, and we pray that you return them to the fold. Uh, until then, you comfort them, Father, but we want them to know that we're with them in spirit as well. We pray also for those in this world that are still lost, without hope, that before it's too late, they are humbled and receive saving faith, Father. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work to cancel out that debt and to make an evening like this a time to rejoice. We just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, part 14, uh, last week's emphasis was up here on the board, the value of Jesus. That was, that came up an awful lot. It really was the, sort of the opening line, if you would, of the messages this past week, the value of Jesus. And the Spirit really wants us to understand uh, quite personally that it is a relationship with a person. This is not simply historical facts. It's not things that we can quote from Holy Scripture. It's not. It's Him. He's a person. We have a relationship with a person, and the quicker we understand that, the more we understand that He actually is the great treasure in this life. Amen? He's the great treasure. Uh, when a person values Him above all else, their heart is with Him always. We looked at Ephesians 3, 14 to 19, Philippians 3, 7 to 15. Um, and then there's the idea of treasure itself, which we've, for lack of a better term, investigated, uh, deeply investigated. So speaking of treasures, um, obviously a hot topic, money, is always at the top of the list when it comes to counterfeit treasures for us believers. Uh, any one of us can get caught up in it at any moment in time, regardless of which side of the fence you're on, right? It's what you think of money. It's not whether you have it or not. Um, as we've noted, the trappings of money are both vast and destructive up here on the board. 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Uh, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves. And note, I want you to note, this is a personal responsibility in view here. This person pierces themselves. It's their doing. It's their choice. It's their treasure that they're chasing after. And as a result, 
they pierce themselves. And so they're responsible, in other words, for piercing themselves with many pangs. And so it's both vast and destructive are the trappings of the love of money. I'll give you some words of wisdom again from J.C. Ryle up here on the board. On 1 Timothy 6.10, money in truth is one of the most unsatisfying of possessions. It takes away some cares, no doubt, but it brings with it quite as many cares as it takes away. There is the trouble of the getting it. There is anxiety in the keeping of it. There are temptations in the use of it. And to continue, next slide. There is the guilt in the abuse of it. There is sorrow in the losing of it. There is perplexity in the disposing of it. Two-thirds of all the strifes, quarrels, and lawsuits in the world arise from one simple cause. Money. Money. Therefore, up here in the board, what's the Spirit been saying? Be careful what you treasure. It's not just money. Uh, if we treasure a counterfeit, what does the Bible tell us? We suffer for it. If we treasure a counterfeit, we suffer for it. There's just no other way to put it based on Holy Scripture. I want to look at one more example of a counterfeit uh, where we might treasure something that might displace the thing that we should be treasuring. One more counterfeit. This time we're going to see counterfeit esteem. Counterfeit esteem, as in self-esteem. That's why I always pick on that word. Self-esteem. Very dangerous phrase, self-esteem. Because the word self is right in it. And just as a side note, there's nothing wrong with self-esteem, okay, as long as it's derived from Christ in you. That's the point. If you have self-esteem because you know who you are in Christ, that's great. But that's not the kind of self-esteem that the world peddles. So here's the correct attitude if you ever get confused about self-esteem. Up here on the board, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, Paul said it very plainly. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Amen? Yeah. Anything good in us, honestly, anything good in us is by the grace of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. He's talking about the other apostles. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Do you see, if you ever get confused about what self-esteem looks like, there it is. I like to call it Christ-esteem so I don't get confused. So I don't get tangled up in the language of the world and have to go through this you know, diatribe of, this is what I really mean when I talk about self-esteem. It's okay to have self-esteem if you understand, blah, 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 blah. I just as soon call it Christ-esteem. It seems easier to me. It seems uh, clearer to me. 
Again, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Go to 1 Chronicles uh, 21, verse 1, where we're going to look at this other kind of counterfeit, a counterfeit esteem. And I've had a lot of good conversations the past couple of weeks with people, uh, inside the congregation, outside the congregation even, people that have been subtly attacked, if you would, um, into building a counterfeit esteem. And every single one of them has suffered for it, some more um, awfully than others. But there's no shortage of people wanting, the human flesh wanting to build itself up. First Chronicles 21.1, then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. Okay? So for context, you might say, what's the big deal? David's going to take a census. Well, God didn't want him to take a census, especially not because taking the census was filling his pride. He was like, look at the size of my army. Right? I'm a killer. We're a killer, right? Look at, look at my army. Look at, what, look at the power of us. Look at how many there are. So David got a little puffed up. And Satan took advantage of him and said, Hey, why don't you start having and possessing and abiding in a counterfeit self-esteem? Why don't you forget where you came from and start thinking there's something great about you? So David's pride was called to the carpet by Satan himself. Verse 2. So what did David do? He failed. <laughs> so David said to Joab and the commanders of the army, Go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring me a report that I may know their number. But Joab said, May the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are. Are they not, my lord, the king, all of them, my lord's servants? Why then should my lord require this? He's even getting good counsel. Why should it be a cause of guilt for Israel? But the king's word prevailed against Joab, so Joab lost that battle. Uh, so Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came back to Jerusalem. This is also really good uh, as a side note. You see the authority orientation of Joab? Joab knew that this was probably wrong. Even counseled David. You're going to bring this on us, David? <laughs> this doesn't sound right at all. Just saying. Going to be in a little advisor here. Okay, you're the king. And he went and did his thing. That's what true authority orientation looks like, by the way. Not that thing that most Americans do, which is, I'm authority oriented for as long as I agree with it. That's not authority orientation. But the king's word prevailed against Joab. So Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came back to Jerusalem. And Joab gave the sum of the numbering of the people to David. In all Israel there were 1,100,000 men who drew the sword. And in Judah, 470,000 who drew the sword. A big, big army, right? But he did not include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering, for the king's command was abhorrent to Joab. So he's 
really probably just getting sick of counting, right? Taking a census would have been grotesque to this individual, the job itself. But God was displeased with this, this thing, and he struck Israel. And David said to God, I have sinned greatly in that I have done this thing. But now please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have acted very foolishly. And the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say to David, Thus says the Lord, Three things I offer you. Choose one of them, that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Choose what you will, either three years of famine or three months of devastation by your foes while the sword of your enemies overtakes you, or else three days of the sword of the Lord, pestilence on the land, with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now decide what answer I shall return to him who sent me. And then David said to Gad, and this is why we're reading this passage, by the way, what did he say? I am in great distress. So he got pride, he was prideful, arrogant, puffed up, chose a counterfeit esteem. And what happened? Verse 13, I am in great distress. Isn't that what the Spirit's been telling us all along? Anytime you take on a counterfeit treasure, it can be as subtle as something like self-esteem. You suffer. David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let me fall into the hand of the Lord. For his mercy is very great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. Now we can end here for our purposes, but the point is that David said, I am in great distress. Why? Because he treasured the size of his army. Because he failed. Because he chose a treasure that he shouldn't have, which was insulting to God and angered him. David's pride got in the way of his otherwise humble self. And just as the Bible states over and over again, Old Testament, we just read some, and New Testament, David suffered for it. That's the lesson. Treasure something other than what you ought to be treasuring, and you suffer for it. So think about this for a bit. Once we make the connection that if we treasure someone or something above the Lord, that we suffer. So we make this connection. We learn it in Holy Scripture. Well, I mean, even commonplace wisdom would conclude that there's a definite correlation between the two, right? Counterfeit treasure, suffering. Okay? In other words, to state it more dogmatically, up here on the board, it's self-destructive behavior to ignore God's good counsel. It's self-destructive behavior to ignore God's good counsel. So the spirit, I mean, we can say this to ourselves. We know that it's always going to end badly. Right? It never, I mean, we might get a, quote unquote, get away with it for a while. But God is not mocked. Um, the only, the only people we can fool are other people, but not the person of God. Eventually what goes around comes around. That's a fact. So says Holy Scripture. So it really is self-destructive behavior, knowingly, 
for those of us who know better, to ignore God's good counsel. So the Spirit pivoted Sunday's message on two topics regarding deliverance from your own self-induced misery up here in the board on the topic of double-mindedness. I mean, why would someone who knows better do something that is self-destructive? We call that double-mindedness. We're sort of living in two realities, if you would. Double soul, double-mindedness, fractured soul. Reason number one why the double-minded person isn't delivered, you are praying for the wrong thing. You are praying for relief, not deliverance. There's a big difference. I know a lot of people who make really interesting, myself included, we all make very interesting choices, let's put it that way, when we go to the throne of grace. <laughs> we say, Lord, can you get rid of this pain? And he said, if I do that thing, you're, just go- you're never going to learn. So pray for deliverance from the illness, the thing that plagues you. Pray for deliverance from that thing, like the apostles did. You know, give us more faith. Lord, give us this faith. Increase our faith. That's what I want. I want more faith so that I don't make stupid decisions. Relief is a Band-Aid. Deliverance is the cure. Relief is the Band-Aid. Deliverance is the cure. So, reason number one, you're praying for the wrong thing. Up here on the board, reason number two, why the double-minded person isn't delivered. We saw this, both of these on Sunday. You lack faith in God's abilities to, quote, beat the return on investment the world's economy offers. In other words, you think, I can spend a little bit of time in the world and get more of a return, more happiness, more joy out of investing myself and my time and my energy into the world. Isn't that what David did? He spent all that time, even used one of his top-ranking officials, I suppose, right, to go take a census. For what? To feed his pride? That's a lack of faith. That what? You need that kind of assurance from the world? Because God's not able to give you what you need? Hmm. So that's reason number two. You lack faith in God's abilities to, quote, beat the ROI. The world's economy offers even a diversified portfolio is a poorly placed bet. God demands 100% investment in Him. There are several manifestations of all of this in our lives. For example, the Spirit gave us this on Sunday to chew on up here on the board. The source of your misery. You want the fruit of righteousness, but you refuse to actually be righteous. In other words, you want good fruit, but you want to be a bad tree. Does that make sense? You want the fruit, but you want it from a bad tree. That's the source of your misery. You actually want fruit of righteousness, but you refuse to actually be righteous. This, of course, is an illustration of the rich young ruler 
who asked Jesus about how to get eternal life, but when Jesus said he had to break free from the ties to wealth in order to follow Jesus, the ruler walked away. He made his choice. And let's not forget what the Bible says about that man's condition when he walked away up here on the board. Luke 18.23 When he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. What happened? Do you, do you see how already the man was filled with sadness? Remember the principle from a while back up here on the board? There's no escaping the truth. This is a fact. The word of truth never leaves a person unchanged. That's Isaiah 55, 11. My word never goes out without accomplishing my will. It never, it never truly deflects off of a person. It always has some effect on a person. The word of truth never leaves a person unchanged. There is no neutral response. Even if, You might be saying, well, what about the person with a hardened heart? Even that person is exercising, right? Is exercising some rejection of it, which implies some energy to do so. But a person is never left unchanged. That's why the very, I was having this discussion with, I think it was a text thread with me, Scott, and DJ, how um, it's not our job to change people. It's our job to give people the truth. That's it, the unadulterated truth. That's it. I was telling the new guy, Scott, he's not here tonight, but um, how it's frightening up here sometimes because the very best I can do is not get in the way. The worst I can do is destroy the message. <laughs> so it's like this. It's all like going down. <laughs> right? It's like, that's it. The only option is to screw it up. You know what I'm saying? Because I can't improve the word. That's all I can do is spill it. Like the waiter. Oh, crap. Right? I spilled it. That's the best. The best I can do is just hopefully it just gets to you pure. That's, that's a, it's a frightening prospect if you have fear of the Lord and you love the word like I do. It's a frightening prospect. Um, the word of truth never leaves a person unchanged. There is no neutral response. Our job is to just get it to people. Just get it to them. Stop with the personality plus. I mean, look at Scott. He's miserable. And he, he evangelizes people. I don't know how he pulls it off. Throwing tracks at people. Right? You going to eat that? It's embarrassing. I'm just kidding. Personality. I mean, what, is, what the heck is a personality anyways? For crying out loud. What, what, don't you realize that's 
I mean, if you have a bubbly breath, be yourself, in other words, right? But if you're going to be a phony, that tends to get in the way. And people tend to sniff that out. I mean, what's uglier than a phony Christian anyways, right? Ugh. It's gross. We want to get people the truth because of the point on the board. The, the truth never leaves a person unchanged. This truth, is, this truth is amplified for believers based on the following verse up here on the board. Luke 12, 48, the living uh, Bible translation. But anyone who, has, who is not aware that he is doing wrong will be punished only lightly. Much is required from those to whom much is given, for their responsibility is greater. And to paraphrase, to whom much is given, much is required. So since there's no escaping the truth, and we believers are held to a higher standard, then what can we say about double-mindedness up here on the board? This was something that came out last week. Double-minded unrest. A true believer will be haunted by their own good conscience until they either change or God decides to remove them from earth by the sin unto death. And I brought you to 1 John 5.16 on Sunday. Because we know better. We've been given supernatural apparatus to be able to receive spiritual truth, to be convicted at a whole nother level. And so God holds us responsible, and he uses our good conscience to haunt us, even, when we start treasuring or following or having affections for things or people other than Jesus Christ. We ended on Sunday. Go to James 4, verse 3. James 4, verse 3. James 4, verse 3. <clears throat> Just to drive some of this home. All of this is review. I'm not spending too much time on it. James 4, verse 3. Um, always remember this. James 4, verse 3. You ask and do not receive. Think of reason number one. Why you're not delivered. Why? Because you ask wrongly. You ask with wrong motivations. To spend it on your passions. I like me. I'm my own little God. I want a fancy reputation. Someone hurt my feelings. Can you take away the pain, Lord? Can you, can you tell them to stop hurting me? Why does it hurt? And then God comes back and says, why are you hurt in the first place? Why are you letting someone else's opinion bother you that much? But apparently, you don't care what I think of you. Why are you letting that thing happen? No, I'm not going to take away the pain. I want you to see what that road leads to. I want you to see the ugliness of Satan's economy. I want you to do that thing for a little while so that you can see it firsthand. So no, I'm not going to answer that prayer. I'm not going to 
give you relief. I had a conversation with someone this past week, and uh, it was an interesting conversation because, do you know, like, you know when someone, like, talks at you, not with you? Do you know what I mean by that? Now, they're talking with, obviously, a pastor. You know what you're going to get if you're talking to me, right? (laughs) But if you're fleshly, you don't want to hear what I have to say. So what you do is you talk at me. And then you run away. You talk at me. You don't talk with me. You talk at me. And it's the same as James 4.3. You're not really interested in being delivered. You're interested in having what it is that you want. In other words, spend it on your passions. Give me this relief so I can spend it on my passions. Do this thing for me, Lord, so I can tend to my human flesh. Do this for me. Take away this pain. And the Lord says, but it's self-induced. You need to understand that you're hurting yourself in this moment. So it's just an interesting thing. I have to think that if someone's talking to me that way, then they are very likely talking to everyone, including God, that way. James 4.3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace, or greater grace. Therefore, it says God opposed Uh, opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble submit yourselves therefore to God resist the devil and he will flee from you draw near to God and he will draw near to you cleanse your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double minded be wretched and mourn and weep let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom up here on the board an explanation of uh, James 4 9 Let your flippant laughter and joy be turned into mourning and gloom when you realize the source of it is sin. Practically speaking, do not say, I'm blessed, when you're living in the world's economy. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Remember that double-mindedness is also tantamount to hypocrisy. Um, the guidance from the Spirit this past week on that topic up here on the board. Very simple. Then don't be a hypocrite. <laughs> I mean, don't be a hypocrite. At least be honest. Right? At least be honest. If you're being a jackass, say, you know what? I'm in a bad mood. I'm just being a jackass. That's a good start doesn't cure the problem, but at least you're not a hypocrite. At least you're not living in darkness. How great is your darkness when you think you're in the light? At least you're not that person. Don't be a hypocrite. Jesus, as we know, had a lot to say about that topic. 
I want to read one of his great sermons now. Go to Matthew 6, 1. Matthew 6, verse 1. You, you take away what you need to take away from this, but just keep the word hypocrite at the top of your mind and try to develop a sense of Jesus' thoughts on hypocrites. He'd rather deal with a prostitute and a tax collector that says, you know what, I'm wretched. He would rather sit down and eat with that person than deal with these, these hypocrites or hypocritical types. How about you? What would you rather deal with, honest to goodness? A prostitute who says, hey, listen, I know it's not the most honorable trade. That's what I am, right? Or some uh, pretentious jackass. <laughs> you know, who, you know, nothing about them stinks. Get it? Right? Nothing. Some pretentious jackass. Give me the prostitute. Right? Give me the, give me the, the wretch who's at least honest. I can have a conversation with that person, but the pretentious person is gross. I, have, I think that Jesus felt the same way, honestly. Matthew 6, 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus... When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have, they have received their reward. In other words, that's as good as it gets for you, the praise of others. You're not going to get mine. Verse 3, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father <clears throat> who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Verse 9, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespassers, trespasses, ne neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, <laughs> For they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then here's our verse, our pivotal verse lately. For you, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And here's a friendly reminder up here on the board. Romans 12.9, NASB. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Let's continue further on. Verse 22. Again, remember, let your love not be, with, or be without hypocrisy. Uh, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Now let's continue with this chapter, even though the bit on hypocrisy is over. Uh, from here on out, Jesus talks about the remedy to hypocrisy. How awesome is that? In verse 25, he says, Therefore, he said, don't do all that hypocritical stuff, right? Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Why do you need, in other words, why do you need to be a hypocrite? Why do you need all that extra attention? Why do you got to be a little religious zealot and let everybody else know? Why do you need that? God says, God says, I will reward you in secret. You saw the two different ROIs, right? The person had their reward in full, the hypocrite, versus the person who says, I'm going to do this in secret, and God rewards them. Those are the two ROIs. It gets more practical, though, in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. <clears throat> Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? That's a wonderful passage, a wonderful verse. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the li lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. As we closed with on Sunday, abstaining from hypocrisy, this kind of thing that Jesus despised, apparently, 
wanted people to be delivered from, clearly, abstaining from hypocrisy isn't just to represent him as a Christian, as an ambassador for him in this world. That's part of it. But this is good counsel for your personal benefit. For your benefit. It's not a good thing to be a hypocrite. It's not a good thing to be double-minded. It's not a good thing to have your heart chasing some other treasure and be divided on it. You know, you're here tonight, you're like, love Jesus. You step off the threshold, love the world. Come back through the doors on Sunday, love Jesus. Step off the threshold, love the world. That's what double-mindedness is. There's no rest there. That's the point the Spirit's been trying to make. So all this is for your personal benefit. In other words, a hypocritical person is a miserable person. One last time up here on the board with the Venn diagram. If you're the double-minded person there, remember what Jesus had said about the mutual exclusivity of love and hate. Remember that? It can't be done. That's a, that's a, uh, a description of someone. But it, that's in, that's, that long term is a, basically a form of self-induced misery, especially for a believer. All right. All that said, we need to get back to our primary passage. Go to Proverbs 17.1. Proverbs 17.1. We'll press on a little further, and then I'll close. <clears throat> My voice is struggling tonight. not sure what happened. Maybe talking to all those people this week. It's all good. It's all good. All love. Awesome conversations. Proverbs 17.1 Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. A servant who deals wisely will rule over a son who acts shamefully and will share the inheritance as one of the brothers. The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. For emphasis, up here on the board, Hebrews 4.13, <clears throat> And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The Lord tests hearts. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Okay, let's press on a little bit further. Verse 4. I think we touched on this a few messages back. Verse 4. An evildoer listens to wicked lips, and the liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. An evildoer listens to wicked lips. So let's give this some thought here. Again, an evildoer listens to wicked lips. And this is a very telling statement because it speaks directly to a person who abides in the world economy. An evildoer. That's a person, you know, sons of disobedience, the evildoer. That's a person who abides in the world economy. Not only does this person do evil, evildoer, but they also listen to it. Allah, verse 4. Not only do they do evil, but their propensity for, their affection is for, listening to evil. 
In other words, there's an unholy picture of a merchandising. You see? I tell you, I do some evil, I say some evil to you, you give it back to me. There's merchandising. <laughs> right? And there's no friction. That's why I, Tam and I were talking about this the other day, how <laughs> as believers, when, when the world recognized that we, you know, let's, let's say we, for lack of a better term, we fall off the wagon, let's call it that thing, for a moment, fall off the wagon, the world leaves you alone. All of a sudden, all the friction's gone. The world's like, oh, man, love you, man, where you been? We miss you. You know, 10 years ago, you came with those Christians, right? Now you're one of us again, yay! And the world, like, embraces you. And next thing you know, all the, you know, that, the grading that happens because you're trying to stand up for Jesus in this world? That grading feel, all of a sudden, it's gone. Because the world's like, woo, yeah. Because the trading has begun. See, there's no friction there anymore. There's an unholy picture, this evildoer who also listens. There's an unholy picture of merchandising. That's what an economy is. Nice, smooth exchange. I have faith in what you give me has value. You have faith in what I give you is value. You see? We have this nice little exchange based on unholy currency. Yay! Right? And it's nice and smooth and it works. Chugga, 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 chugga. So, what we have here in verse 4 is an unholy picture of merchandising in the world economy. So, at a big picture level, this is what we immediately see. We see the natural affinity for evil conversation in the one who is currently doing evil. I kind of alluded to that earlier, didn't I? With the people who don't really want to talk to me anymore. The people who talk at me, not with me. That kind of thing. And you might be in the same boat. You know, if you show up with the word of God with integrity to Christ, it's the same. They're looking for people that want, they're looking for people like themselves with their crooked, perverse thoughts. Um, we see the natural affinity for evil conversation in the one who is currently doing evil. I mean, isn't that why some of the people you've invited to this church, for example, some of you, almost everybody in here, I, I believe, has invited someone to the church at some point in your life, right? And they don't ever come back. What happened? It's not like it wasn't the truth. Isn't that why some of the people here have left in the first place? Might it be that they are evildoers? I'm not saying everybody's left here is an evildoer. That's not what I'm saying at all, so don't be like that. I'm talking about specific cases, obvious cases, where people don't want to hear the truth. Because they want to merchandise. You see, they want smooth transactions. See, if I teach religion and garbage doctrines... Their flesh loves it, you see? They, their flesh loves that thing. They come to a church like this, and it's all grace and humility and faith and integrity. And anybody that's wrestling with the flesh is going to be like, I don't like this place. <laughs> I can't merchandise here. You know, I wore my Sunday best. 
Nobody's looking at me. It's because nobody cares. Right? You get what I'm getting at? They're evildoers that desire to hear from evil folks rather than someone like myself or many of you who speaks the truth. And again, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just thinking aloud. Um, establishing trends that we can see around us in everyday life. Here's a good question for you. Why is it that you, if you tell a dirty joke at work, everyone lends an ear? But if you mention Jesus Christ's name, everyone scatters. Because we, as we just read in Proverbs 17.4, an evildoer listens to wicked lips. Well, if you're telling dirty jokes at work, well, I hate to tell you, but those are wicked lips. No coarse jesting. The Bible says so. Uh, well, evildoers are going to love you. Woo, that's awesome. That is an evildoer's preference. That's what Scripture tells us. So here's some food for thought up here on the board. A person's nature is revealed by the type of advice he accepts. Ooh. A person's nature is revealed by the type of advice he accepts. Do they want the truth or not? Or do they just want to talk over you or at you? Obviously, this is caught blunt for unbelievers, right? Um, they want evil. That's their nature. They haven't been changed yet. It's all they know. Everything's creature credit. If it's not creature credit, they can't comprehend it. It doesn't make any sense. Grace is foreign to them. But it can also plague believers to some degree. A person's condition, even. A person's nature, or even their condition, is revealed by the type of advice he accepts. Why is it? Ask yourselves honestly a really good question. And, and please don't flood my email or my text or my phone tomorrow, because I said this. But why is it that a lot of you never call me? for any advice whatsoever. Why is it that I'm often the last person you talk to? Right? And I say this with all honesty, and it's for everyone here to think long and hard about. People hardly ever ask me for advice anymore, even in this congregation. Now, to give you all the benefit of the doubt, I'm going to assume that you do as the Spirit's taught you. You go to the Word of God. That's what I hope. I hope that's a function of all the labor I've put into read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, go to the Bible, go to the Bible. I hope that's it. I really do. And I, I do believe that for most of you. But I think some of you don't do that. And some of those same people don't ask me either or somebody else that has some wisdom on the Word of God because of the condition they're in. Because they don't actually want the truth. You understand? They don't want to hear that 
from a person like me. So maybe I broaden the scope a little here and include everyone I ever come into contact with, even outside this church. When I was a lot, and I'm just sharing here, and feel free to jump in and say, yep, I'm, I'm in the same boat. When I was a lot more worldly-minded, people would often ask my advice about this or that. But as my mind is increasingly aligned with the Word of God, people have sort of realized that my advice will always be related to Holy Scripture. I'll always give some reference to Holy Scripture, or this is what the Bible says, or this is what God believes or thinks about you, or, you know, this is where God's at on this topic. Um, This poses a real problem because of the following. And I need you to listen up. Still got time. This is wisdom granted to me after years of studying human beings against the word of truth up here in the board in terms of seeking advice. Most people prefer partiality over integrity when they seek advice from others. I'll say it again. Most people prefer partiality over integrity when they seek advice from others. If they wanted perfect counsel, in all fairness, they'd consult the Word of God. If you want perfect counsel, what did Jesus say in uh, Matthew 6.33? Right? Seek first the kingdom of heaven, and, and all these things will be added to you. Right? In other words, seek Him. Seek the Word of God. Seek truth. Abide in that sphere. So if you want perfect, unadulterated truth, then you always have access to it. That's the beauty of it. Even if it's three in the morning, you have access to it in the Word of God. And that's a wonderful, beautiful blessing. Um, But again, most people prefer partiality over integrity when they seek advice from others. Um, when someone's out of whack, when someone's rolling around in their human flesh, they become like the Proverbs 17.4 person. The evil person seeks counsel from evil lips. So they don't really want advice from someone who represents the word of truth. They want it from somebody who's flipping evil, who tells them exactly what they want to hear in that moment. And they don't want the truth. So there's a pretty smooth transaction that happens, isn't there? Oh, if I talk to this bald guy, it's friction. I don't like it. I I can't talk at him. He don't let me, like, you know push my flesh on him. I, it can't be, I can't, my flesh can't tashuka. I can't dominate him because all he does is throw up the word of God and I can't dominate the word of God so it's over. There's no merchandising with that guy. But if I come over here with someone that's representing evil, ooh, smooth transactions. Right? Smooth transactions. What do you think the human flesh does? They don't come to me, obviously. 
And if they're not going to the Word of God, or somebody else that represents the Word of God, they're going to this one, where the transaction is nice and smooth. Right? And if they're really spun up, they say, this is godly, because this is hard, and this is easy. God must have opened a door here and closed this door. You see how quickly that just changed? How great is your darkness when you think you're in the light? You do that little trick, now you've got a double step back twice as hard because now you've deceived yourself. And how many times does it say in the Bible, do not be deceived. Brethren, do not deceive yourselves. God is not mocked. Don't do that thing. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't go to the world and stop merchandising with the world and say, it's from God. Because you suffer. Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? His words were smooth, smooth like butter. You see, this is the lion and the lamb type. This is the wolf in sheep's clothing type. Most people prefer this thing that I've learned. And it's a hard lesson to learn. We all go through it, so I'm not judging anybody. Trust you me. Been there, done that. Far too many times than I care to share. But that's the truth. To be fair, new believers who lack understanding, they do benefit from pastoral advice. And for you old-timers in here, I remember back when I first opened up the ministry, I was like, I only teach, and that's it. Go away. That was terrible. That's not even godly. I picked that up from some other moron. I've since learned. If you have something you need to talk about, you call me up. I'll be there. I'll do my very best to be there. Fair enough? Fair enough? Yeah. Just, you know, between, the, you know, between 12 and 6. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding, guys. Whoa, whoa, what's all the stipulations you said any time? <laughs> so for newer believers especially, if you lack understanding, call me. It's part of my job. It's amazing that more people don't actually reach out. My point is that since man's natural heart is wicked, Proverbs 17.4 makes perfect sense. An evildoer listens to wicked lips. It makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, let's, let's close up quickly. A wicked person doesn't want the truth for the simple fact that it stands opposed to them. This is what Jesus says anyways. Go to John 3.20. John 3.20 and I'll close. <clears throat> a wicked person doesn't want the truth. Why do they want to listen to a person with wicked lips? Because they don't want the truth. That's the reason. And look at verse 20 of John 3. John 3.20. For everyone who does wicked things. Does, is that just like a long way of saying is an evildoer? Fair enough? Okay. For everyone who is an evildoer, everyone who does wicked things, a la Proverbs 17.4, hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. See, an evil person will say to your face, nothing wrong here. <laughs> nothing wrong with what you're about to do. Let's go do it. I'll even join you. 
Nothing wrong with what you're about to do. An honest person is going to say, whoa! <laughs> Let's rein that one in. You're about ready to self-destruct. Your flesh has got you by the horns. And someone needs to shake you. But I don't want to come to the light because my deeds will be exposed. I'm almost there. This, this, little, this little plan of mine is almost consummated. I'm almost there. I just need to get by the last step. I just, you know, I'm getting at I need to do this one more thing. I don't want to hear from anybody who's going to try to stop the train. I want, I want to talk to everybody who says, you're doing the right thing, buddy. You're doing the right thing. Keep going. Keep going. Merchandise. Smooth. Smooth. Chugga, 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 right? And then the, the, the word of God's going. The, the shepherd who loves the person's going. The people in their lives who actually understand the word of truth, they're going, what's going on? That's what happens. That's why. Verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things, hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work, his work should be exposed. Therefore, if you stand up for the light in integrity to the word of truth, a wicked person will avoid your advice like the plague. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this truth that you've given us. Thank you for setting us free by it, Father. We're so grateful and thankful for the time you spend with us, your patience, your mercy, your love. Oh, Father, it's overwhelming sometimes, but it's proof that you do love us and you do have patience and you are gracious towards us, Father. Father, thank you so much. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned back to the privacy of our own souls, back to our families, and then you will be done out to a world that's just decaying, Father. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.